0: And goal of the season, of absolute
1: quality.
0: I'm sure most people would say I was mad. 30, the from
2: Curry, a bad try. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Downhill Second Half podcast. As ever, joining me, Ian DL, a man so ahead of his time with computers that some say the prevention of the millennium bug destroying all that we knew on New Year's Eve 1999 was actually all down to him. It's worth pointing out that Barnet were top of Division 3 at the time and it's pretty much gone from bad to worse ever since. So uh, thanks for that, mate. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison.
0: Well, it's my pleasure to be part of that and uh, be responsible for it. And uh, yeah, good to be here. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thank you, James. Uh, and alongside him, a man whose words are often more logic-defying than the science behind six-foot-eight goalkeeper Bert Bossu getting lobbed in that playoff game at Peterborough, is Mr Craig Clayton.
1: That's an insult, isn't it? I'm, I'm just trying to pick through what you said, but that's uh, you're having a go, aren't you?
2: Sometimes I'm nice, sometimes, you know, it's nice to mix it up, isn't it? Um, And joining us on today's show, a man who swapped East London for Leafy Hertfordshire and made more than 100 appearances for the Bees during a four-year stint at the turn of the century. A combative but classy midfielder with an eye for a pass and more than capable of popping up with the odd goal too. And a player with one of the greatest of their time chance that I can ever recall at Barnet. And I've certainly never heard Paul Johnson's house classic, Get Get Down, without singing this man's name every time since. It's going to take a real genuine effort to just say his surname once at the end of his intro. Welcome to the podcast, Danny Brown.
3: How are we doing? What a song that was, by the way. That was brilliant. A, a
1: classic. Not, a, a classic I'll,
3: never forget, uh,
1: I'll never forget away at Blackpool. And I know, I know we're skipping and we'll jump back, but I'll never forget away at Blackpool. That year we went down, unfortunately. But they had a big brass band that was, was marching up and down the side of the pitch, right near the away end. And it was uh, everyone off, off on Danny Brown, 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 Brown. It was, it was, uh, oh, what, what a time, what a time. Fair play
3: who made that up. Yeah, yeah. No, I
2: think we're going to come back to a bit of that uh, in a short while. I think James has got a bit on that. But um, yeah, cheers for joining us today, Danny. And uh, say so we'll come back to the song. But let's take it back, first of all, uh, to around the time you joined Barnet, or even just slightly before that. Uh, um, I remember when you arrived, there was quite a lot of noise that, you know, we've got this big uh, prospect coming in across from Leighton Orient, obviously for quite a sizable amount of money at the time as well. Um, but I remember reading this article a few years ago, uh, and I had a look for it online before today, but it, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm hoping you i have not imagined it and you're able to elaborate for me. I think you probably know where I'm going with it. Um, I'm all right in thinking that it almost wasn't Barnett and it was almost Sam Allardyce's Bolton uh, before you came and joined us.
3: It was actually Colin Todd's Bolton. Okay. Colin Todd was the manager at the time. Um, did you find the article?
2: I, I, I remember reading it a few years ago. I think you we were playing for someone in the FA Cup. It was all it was all yeah. online somewhere. But uh, yeah, you might have to fill, fill everyone in for our listeners.
3: Yeah, interesting story. Um, I was at Orient at the time, and I was just breaking through. Um, and we had uh, an agent was watching the reserves play at Orient. Um, and this agent seemed to have like a lot of connections at Bolton Uh, simple way to put it is I went up to Bolton for a two-week trial Uh, trained trained well played against Man City scored two Um, and everything was going good then they extended it for a month so I was up there I was living up there in a hotel Uh, and I don't think you could write the script everything went great um, but I was living in a hotel with Ida Good Johnson and a couple of other players, there was a couple of trialists um, and then they said I was signing uh, and it was ridiculous money uh, club car, didn't even have a driver's license but in a club <laughs> car <laughs> um, yeah and sort of was house shopping bits and pieces but me being the sort of lad that I was thought it'd be a good idea to get some of my pals up from Bethlehem Green. (laughs) Um, So I must mention that everything in the hotel was free. Um, So I got the boys up. Uh, Ida was a Viking. (laughs) And I think the bar bill was, well, if I remember, the lads were all doing like fillet steak time after time. (laughs) You know we just absolutely milked it and I think the bar bill comes to about seven and a half grand <laughs> um, and then I went into training the next morning and it was Brownie the old whole manager oh yeah Phil Brown around. Phil Brown he called me and went oh the gaffer wants to see you so I've got up the old, all the boys and he changed i going very good well done lad pick a Ferrari all the banter was sort of going off <laughs> And I went into the office and this agent standing there behind the manager, Colin Todd. And he uh, looks at me and he says, "Uh, what'd you get up to last night, lad? And I I was just in a hotel, played a couple of games of pool with Ida and went to bed. And he sort of looked at me, the agent, I wondered, the the agent had steam coming out of his ears. I (laughs) figured, what's the matter with him? And then Colin Todd just slid the barbill across the desk and said, "Uh, you're not even old enough to drink. And it just said, vodka, lemonade, vodka, lemonade, vodka, lemonade, beer, beer, beer. Um, Yeah, he said, we're sending you back. That was it. I went back to Orient. The ironic thing was, I went back to Orient and got treated like an absolute legend. (laughs) 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 All the lads went bonkers. Even the manager was laughing his head off. So that was, yeah, that was uh, one of very, very many uh, mishaps, to say the least.
0: Well, then you moved on from Orient. You moved um, and then joined joined Barnet for that 40 grand, I believe it was in in 1999. I think you'd only played one senior game there. We were looking at the looking at the um, sort of stats earlier on. Um, did you expect to 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 play at Barnet straight away, given the fee? And was there really, was there any pressure for you with that price tag? Because it was quite a odd time in the sense that there weren't that many transfer fees flying around certainly at that level at that time at that time in football
3: yeah the, the, the stats say I played once I think I would played about three or four games um, and I should, I should have played more um, but at the time at Orient, they had quite a, a healthy budget so they had a lot of experienced players and things like that and it was just I don't know if it was proving tricky to play or if I was getting impatient um, and then when I, when the the thing came up with Barnet, I actually like took a pay cut and everything because I wanted to play. Um, and that was the that was the thought behind the move. Really, was to just go and play and start playing senior football. Uh, did I expect to play? Yes, because they'd spent the money. Um, but for me, it was it was the right thing to do at the time. Did I feel pressure? I don't think I was clever enough to feel pressure. To be honest, I was more interested in just playing football.
1: Well, uh, that, that, that's fair enough, and I think um, I mean coming into that Barnett squad, we we have quite a lot of debate around what a John Steele team looks like, what a typical John Steele player is. Um, a lot of the time, I think we we jump to the easy kind of stereotype of big six, six foot plus centre backs with a little and large combo up front, lots of set piece experts kind of that kind of style um but when we think about actually your time when you joined you the likes of john dylan as well I, I think probably would say more cultured center midfielders and, and, and quite different how did you find slotting into that regimented squad with a
3: very fixed style of play? uh i found it horrendous um i'm now 40 years old and i look back on it um and I take lots of elements of John Steele into my life going forward. But at the time, I couldn't stand the man. <laughs> it was vile. <laughs> um, I knew at 70 minutes that board was coming up and I was going off. If you look at that team, it's a very underrated team, in, in my opinion. And I look at a lot of the crap that plays now and football's changed but there's still elements of that sort of era and that sort of team that a club like Barnet even is screaming out for. So you had me and Doolan would play and we'd play almost like a 4-3-3. if you look, you had Robbie Sawyers as left back and then me and Doolan, but between me and Robbie, we had to cover the left as well. That's why you always got dragged off at 70 because you were doing two jobs in one but that was to allow Darren Curry to not move a muscle. (laughs) (laughs) But what great balance that give. And then you had big Ken Charlie and Scott McLeish down the middle, that if you look at that, there's your big man, little man. But me and Dooley used to love springing Diags and pulling out Cruyffs and everything. Don't get me wrong, every time you did did it, like still he would go off his head. But I think... He, he always sort of, and I look back at it now as a grown-up, if you did it and it worked, well done you. If it didn't work, wait for them long arms to come out and even to start screaming at you. But it, it, that was, that was a, a great team. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that John Steele had a typical team. What you'd find with John Steele, he, he had a core, always had a core. I looked at his teams afterwards at Dagnam and there was always a core that did their job. And then he would allow people in and around it to do what he would call outside the box.
1: And I'm talking a bit about that, John Still time. Um, we we had Greg Hild on, uh, who's a brilliant guest, really lovely legend, guy. Real, real great guy. Uh, and uh, what he said that he said John Still took him from took Peter Burton and from Peter to Barnett because he knew with Greg Hild he'd give him a job. And he'd do it to the best of his ability, week in, week out. A, a question for you: you'd, I guess, you had a little bit of that Bolton thing must have been hanging over your, your head. Um, you, you've got this eagerness to play at Orient, um, which hasn't maybe happened as many times as you want. Again, maybe not an obvious John Fit star- John Still, sorry, Fit player who's going to come in and, and do exactly what he wants. Did, was there any kind of did you find that clash coming in, or, or was it the creativity that you think he brought you in for being a bit different?
3: No, there was a massive clash. There was a massive clash. Um, for the first two years, I thought the geezer was a lunatic. Um, <laughs> we didn't get on. Um, if I look back now, I was lazy. Um, and my my biggest downfall was obviously coming from Watford, then going straight into League Two. I still carried on like I was at Watford. Um, And it probably took Stilly a year. If you look, I was in, I was out, I was in, I was out. It's just basically because I wouldn't do as I was told. Um, And I wish on hindsight, I suppose a lot of my coaching and stuff now is explaining to youngsters about having that discipline and that work ethic because I just think that if I had had that and bought into it straight away, I think what ability I had would have shown out even more. But I'd say for a long period of time, I fought against him. He used to drive me nuts.
2: It's interesting to hear. I mean, it does kind of match up. We've had a few others saying there was a sort of a bit of a, a players versus John still feeling at times, you know, with the training. And there was that kind of two sides. But generally people did fall into line and you know you mentioned some of the names in that team then i mean it was a great a great barnet side. there's not been many better in the last 20 years certainly than that team you came into um you know in terms of setting in to the club or like the manager maybe was a uh, not not someone you straight away clicked with uh just thinking back to that time though who were your kind of the teammates that you gelled with and, and, and you know we've heard from a few people Ben uh, Strevens, Darren Curry, that the uh, social side was pretty good at that time. It was a squad that didn't want to be Eros on a Monday night. Um, I don't know if you were part <laughs> of any of that, and if there's any, you know, who the main characters
3: uh, were for you. So, as much as hate you had for John Still, you could counteract it for the love that you had for the group. Um, and if I'd be honest, knowing Steele now, and I still speak to him, I think he done it by design. I think he created an Us V Dem, um, because as a group, oh, it was bonkers. <laughs> it was, it was bonkers. And I, I, oh God, you say Eros, that sends a shiver down my spine. I missed that place. <laughs> Not it, was Eros, more, was it? A, it was Eros on a Wednesday night. Okay. My Wednesday night. Yeah. House and garage <laughs> Oof, was going off. Um, But yeah, who did I bond with? Well, I knew Danny Chapman. Uh, We played district and county and stuff as a kid. And I sort of travelled in with him across London. Um, But if I'll be honest, I just, I don't think, that was the only team, I think, where it wasn't clicking. There was no clicks. You had old ones, young ones, white ones, black ones, yellow ones. It was just all mixed and I think partly because everyone was against Stilly. I think partly because everyone earned crap money. And what Stilly used to say to us is this is like a, a reject farm. He's <laughs> giving all of us a, a second chance or he's given us a chance. And the only way we can make the most of that chance is by doing it together. Oh, it was like being at school, like a school playground in the changing rooms. It was like ridiculous. It was like... 30-year-old men cussing and, like, it just never stopped. And then you had Marlon, who was off his head, and then he'd have an argument with someone. Then Marlon would turn up and be happy as pie, and then John still would have us doing weight circuits in changing rooms under showers. And it was just nuts. With away games, you'd go on this crappy bus that kept breaking down. Like, who got... They didn't even have tables. The chairs didn't sit, like across from each other we used to sit back to back like a school bus yeah. and every away game the bus would break down we used to take extra beers because we knew the bus was going to break down <laughs> <laughs> it was everyone would have to phone people to come and pick them up because we'd come off sloshed uh, I remember once we we played and we, we, we definitely won and on the way back we done karaoke I'm doing like I'm singing the clash Sharif don't like it Rock the Casbah, and everyone's like bouncing around. I can't remember who it was, but someone smoked a cigarette at the back of the bus, kneeling down or something. It was literally like, it was the poor man's crazy game. You used to have like Darren Curry and Sam Stockley with all the highlights and then you'd have Big Bad Ken Charlery drinking special brews. It was literally the Munch Bunch, but it was I'd say that's the happiest environment I've been in. In, within
0: football, well, so, that sounds that sounds sounds a familiar approach. That actually getting a, additional just in case beers for the away yes. for the for the, for the uh, <laughs> trip back from the away games. We would certainly employ that strategy over the years when we were coming back from a, a, from the latest defeat. Well, if you we don't, don't play them,
3: then you just take them and then you use them on the <laughs> next trip.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> We're talking about some of those uh, those away games. There was one particularly good one for you, I guess, and, and quite an eventful one uh, in Southend away just before Christmas that year, um, which I think uh, involved uh, two big moments. One was two goals for you, which were uh, pretty impressive, but then also a bit of a, a bit of afters, if you like, in a changing room with a stereo or involving a stereo that we heard about. Um, what, do you, what do you remember of that evening? And uh, I, I, well, and yeah, maybe talk through your your
3: thoughts on it. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, Southend had Leon Johnson playing. Uh, big Mel Caper and Ingold, they were like friends of mine. Uh, Leo Roger. Um, and then I, me- I remember scoring two. And there was a there was some big rivalries then as well, like Ori and Barnett. Barnett, Southend. I don't even know where they come from. I know they're, they're fairly local, but I think it was because a lot of the players knew each other. So that was Leo Roger's worst nightmare, is me turning up in town, banging in two, and then start blaring the tune straight afterwards. It probably didn't help that as I walked past their changing room door, we all kicked the door down and kicked the wall in. (laughs) Um, And then we're sitting there, and then our door flies in, and Roger like grabs the lead out the wall. And I, I thought it was funny. All of a sudden, I think it was like big Warren Ackett, uh, Kenneth, go- I went, oi! Well, he shit himself. He <laughs> bolted. <laughs> he flew straight back out, and then we all flew down and kicked their door down and went in there, changing room. It was all going off. <laughs> and then, yeah, I can't remember who it was. I was like, <laughs> who was it? I think it might have been someone like Nezzy standing in the back, going,
0: go on, hit him, hit him.
3: that <laughs> <like> little scrappy dude. <laughs>
0: I think it was it was it Darren Curry that told that told us that story from the perspective of someone that was hiding behind everyone else? <laughs> oh <And> Darren then, <laughs> Curry
3: was, yeah, definitely. He'd like he was like, yeah,
0: get out of my way, let
3: me at him. He'd be right <laughs> at the back. He'd go, I go, what are you doing? He go, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of good good stories about that night, like as slightly before my time. But apparently, um around about that point, we've already touched upon it, the iconic Chant the uh, the remix of um, Paul Johnson's Get Get Down came around about that time. Um, I guess as a footballer, like we we hear different perspectives of the crowd and your interaction with the crowd. Um, for you, was it something that you could never get tired of, like hearing your name being chanted from the terraces, particularly with a song that was quite big around the time? So I can imagine just going into Eros on a Wednesday (laughs) and and hearing your own song being being chanted and just dancing around. Chalked yeah, yeah. your
3: own name. There was one, I think there was one night in Eros that that come on and <laughs> all the boys started cheering and singing and I walked up and booted a champagne bucket that <laughs> someone, hit someone in the head and broke my toe. So yeah, we did enjoy it. Um, could you get tired of it? No. You couldn't get tired of it. Ironically, um, I now work like on the underground and uh, I had a, like a fella come up to me and said, uh, oh, you, you Danny Brown? And I was like, yeah. And he went, did you play for Barnet? I said, yeah. He, he went, oh, and he left it. He came into work the next night and had a brand Barnet shirt. He used to come and watch. And he said he only got brand because he could have fooled the letters. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had too much for Tom's, so he got brand. And he said he got brand because he liked that song. So he was, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, at Underhill, the left-hand side. So every time they started singing that song, they used to turn him around, pick him up, and keep showing the back of his shirt like <laughs> a little donkey. <laughs> and now I end up working with a fella. But no, that, that, was, uh, that was very
0: creative, whoever thought of that.
3: Yeah, yeah it was uh,
0: a young. Younger supporters will remember that that got remixed into uh, Keanu Marsh-Brown's chant in, in the uh, early 2010s. Uh, particularly for that moment away at Wimbledon, but we'll always remember that yours is the original, and this okay, is this is this is a this is a, uh, a later remix of a classic.
3: Snide copies. <laughs>
2: yeah a mere a mere, mere pretender that one but um yeah it's interesting you mentioned obviously that i know it's, we've sort of mentioned in other podcasts like music and stuff and i think that era at barnet obviously had that song i remember um not not as cool a song but uh there was the, the top of the league song was an alice dj track from around the same time we sing like We're, we are top of the league which was uh back in my life i think was the song and um, it really feels like that era. There was th- that sort of scene of, you say, sort of your house music, your garage music, that kind of stuff really links to it. I know, um, I remember watching the highlights of that South End away. And well, I don't know if I remember this, or I've merged the two together, but there was that song at the time, uh, King of My Castle was like number one in the charts. Yeah. The I- I've never heard that song without picturing that goal at South End well, since. Pretty neat. But...
3: If you think, it's ironic, um, South End at home, I'll score the belt up. Um, and my celebration, I started swinging my arms over my head, and that was because Dooley was going Dan Dan Danny Brown. And <laughs> saying, Dan, Brown like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how crazy that gang was. So I've pinged one in; it's gone in off underneath the bar and gone in. You imagine supporters are cheering and we're singing my song as I'm dancing with it, like <laughs> arms going over my head and everything. It were not real life. We used to do some crazy stuff. It's all sort of starting to come back to me. I remember, like, uh, the 50p game. And we started a game and someone had 50p in their hand. And whoever touched you, they had to give you the 50p. And whoever was left with the 50p bought the first round afterwards. So you imagine, you, we were playing a football match and there's 50p going around the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting stressed out because uh, it's coming up to my 70 minutes. I'm asking the ref, he said 65 and I've got the 50p. <laughs> I'm thinking I've got I've got five minutes to get rid of this, <laughs> but that's what that's what made that team good. Um, and probably if you're talking about correlating music to that time, well, everyone was in Iron Apple, weren't they? So it was, it was like a footballer's carnage hell in Iron Apple. I mean, I bet Darren didn't tell you what he was like there one year. <laughs> he'll keep that one quiet. But yeah, we had some good times there.
1: I guess it, I mean it was generally a, a, a good time for the for the football club as well, uh, and a bit of a glamorous time. We you know we talked to others about loaded bit knocking around and that kind of stuff on the, on the front of the kits and and whatever else. And, and it, was, it was the second time we'd hit the playoffs in in a in a couple of years within the three seasons as well, which was quite good. Uh, my recollection of this, and it will be interesting to see what yours is. Um, was that you got injured towards the end of that season, and actually that was about the same time as our form broke up a little bit, and 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 it may not be true, but it felt a little bit like you you were rushed back from injury for the playoffs towards the end of the season, and never really got to the same levels as you as you got to at the beginning of the season, and I seem to remember as well on this again this. One of those things I think you hear in a club shop especially back then that part, part of your injury was a bit of a niggle with your back where your running style was, was causing that extra grief and, 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 it, and, it, and it put a bit more pressure in places and whatever else do you what's your recollection of, of, of you your, your own physical sort of well-being leading into that uh, end of the season and then also the, the playoffs as well
3: everything you said there that must have been a good chat in a club shop was probably bang on um I don't know. We sort of looked at my running style and bits and pieces. Um, as my career went on, i would be honest, I went from injury to injury. Um, but that, I was struggling with lower back pain and I did get rushed back. And the reason I got rushed back is earlier on in the season, we'd beat Peterborough and I'd played really good. And still he sort of looked at it as though like, because they had Simon Davis and Matty Everton, and Barnett had Marlon King and Danny Brown, and that matchup used to take the sort of highlight away from the game. And basically, it worked in the beginning part of the season, and he wanted to do it again. That's why I was sort of forced back in Peterborough away. I think we got trunked. I hardly touched the ball. I was way off it in that playoff game. So everything they said in the club shop was right. Makes a change. change. Yeah, I didn't win the lottery or anything.
2: (laughs) Okay, so, yeah, at the end of that season,
3: uh, disappointment ultimately
2: with with how the playoffs turned out. Um, But an event that's taken place, uh, which has become a bit more and more of a legend in each one of these podcast episodes of players from this time, uh, given we've had little snippets here and there from various people. uh, There was a famous, infamous, depends how you're looking at, I suppose, uh, squad trip to Dublin uh, after that disappointment against Peterborough. Uh, really, I guess, Danny, what, what, what are your memories of that and which ones would you like to share on here?
3: <laughs> oh, what a class trip. <laughs> what a trip. Um, what are my memories? I don't remember getting there. Um, I remember we went with we who was the boxer? Is it Michael Collins? His brother basically met us and took us into certain places and bits and pieces. Um, we were just drinking all day. We were, like, from the morning all the way there. We got there. I, thought, I, thought, I don't know if it was two or, two or three days, but I don't think I stopped drinking. I think I slept for about three hours. Um, I, the bits and pieces that you heard were probably involving Marlon, Um, Marlon was a very diverse character that's the strangest way I can put it he I'm sure he was bipolar or something he would be so up and down so you could be with Marlon and you could be having such a good time you could literally turn up the next day and you would want to kill him he would just not be in the mood and now, if you mix that type of character with alcohol, well, you got an eruption. <laughs> you got an eruption. And the main one, I think, was him and Basham. Um, they didn't like each other. There was no hidden secret. Um, but if you mix that with booze and a whole team of wind ups, <laughs> it's probably going to end in tears. Um, and I think he ended up with um, having a punch-up. Quite a good punch-up. The strange thing what people never realised about Marlon is he could have a right go with his fist. He was, uh, he liked to tear up. And truth be told, he gives Bash an hiding. Which, uh, did we find funny? Hilarious. I think Bash was like Four stone even and then been pumping weights all year. And then skinny Marlon just coming on crack crack and knocked him out. <laughs> um, I think when Bash got up, he wanted to go for it again and everyone was breaking it up. And then I think I took him down and anyway and let him go for a bit because I thought, let's just get this out of the way now and be done with it. And then to be fair, that was the end of it. That was the first mm-hmm. night. They had a good tear up. Uh, I was sharing a woman with Bash, and when I woke up in the morning, I was like, "Oh, his eye was massive." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then and then we just cracked on. That's what I'm saying about that group. It was surreal. You could have a punch up, um, and then 20 minutes later, done. I, I remember uh, who else had a fight on that Dublin trip. I know Ken and Danny Chapman went missing for ages, and they didn't have a clue where they was. <laughs> I ended up on a cattle estate with some gangster called the Penguin. <laughs> um, it was it was strange because we'd all be in one spot, then you would all break up, and then you'd get back to one spot again. It was just carnage. I think about it now; it was just mental. But yeah, it was a uh, it was good fun. My liver's ached on the way on.
0: (laughs) Too much Guinness. Do you think that sometimes that's a a football thing, that, you know, you're so passionate on the pitch sometimes, everyone wants to win and it's, you know, it's a competitive sport at the end of the day, that, you know, you're able to have arguments, have rows and everything else, and then by 20 minutes later, it's all done.
3: Yes, Uh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, If I'll be honest, I work in football now um, and there's not enough of it. Um, I had a fight with Dooley and become like proper good friends with him but at the time Dooley was like a petulant baby on a football pitch like he didn't pass him the boy "Ah!" banging the floor and everything and uh, I remember once in training I didn't pass it to him and he started like moaning and moaning and I just cut and I just put one in the top corner and I just turned to him started shouting he hit me I cracked him back we had a roll around. Still, he went right. Let's let's break for our hour. We went in had out and come back out, and everything was good. That's how it was. It was if you did young v old, it was war. If you did north v south, it was war. You can't get that out of the lads today. Someone puts in a tackle, or someone goes after someone. The, the other boys are complaining and worried about getting injured and stuff. But I get injured anyway. So, again, there's a lot of things from that time that I'd say are probably good to are out game. But there's a lot of stuff that's sadly missed.
1: Well, one thing that hasn't changed too much is player managers not always working out. And the season after, going from quite a mental pre-season, didn't get any more... Uh, normal, shall we say, midway through when uh, Tony Cotty turns up to be player manager. Now, it's fair to say we've, we've spoken to a number of your colleagues uh, about Tony and, and and actually spoken to Tony himself, which was really good just before Christmas. Uh, and, he, you know, really kind of him to come on and, and talk about what I guess must have been a fairly difficult time uh, for him and for others around. Wush, well, I mean, I, I know you, you had injuries and it was a bit of a funny season for you, but what, what do you kind of remember of that, that bit where Tony comes in and, and after, I
3: suppose? Um, it was just wrong man at the wrong time. Like, if you look afterwards, and Barnet have got this history of making these glamorous signings. I don't know what the thought process is at times behind it if they're just PR stunts or what they are. Um, Tony Cotty was a nice guy. Um, Tony Cotty had come from Leicester straight down to Barnet. Um, he might have helped if he'd had a stop in between. It might have helped if he had gone to a normal, logical football club. But he hadn't. He'd come to Barnet. So you think you've got this man coming from the Premier League, and you've got this gang of vagabonds who travel on school buses that break down. The fit just didn't work. Um. We were used to John Still and accepting what we were and bashing people. Tony Cotty coming in and wanted to play lovely football and do a lot of 5 sides And I remember going to Hartlepool. The bus broke down on the way there. We were getting changed and warmed up on the bus. We got there, hardly done a warm-up. We'd been doing five-a-sides all week. We'd get the ball, we'd keep it, we'd plan all this lovely football. Hartlepool got the ball, booted it, scored. We lost 6-0. I think, like, the writing was on the wall there. Um... But it just—it was just the wrong place for him at that time. I think you'll find a lot of managers, and again, football's changed, so I don't think it's that bad now. But a lot of managers that were coming from higher up, or had had some sort of experience higher up, they couldn't. We didn't have a. We didn't have a known. We didn't have a training ground. So where were we going to do all these five sides and everything that he wanted to do? We were training on a rock hard Astro Turf at first field. It's like a leisure centre. Um. Yeah, I just think it it just wasn't the right fit in 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 his defence.
0: Yeah, and you spoke about the writing on the wall, writing being on the wall, and we've we've done the relegation to death now on this podcast. But I suppose it's always worth getting another um, perspective on uh, what was obviously a very significant time in the club's history. Um, clearly, you've you've been in a team that's been in the playoffs, and now 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 you're looking at relegation in the face. Uh, and then you come to the Torquay game, which is obviously a massive, um, massive event uh, in in the club's history. Uh, what was your recollection of that day, from a from from your perspective? And uh, you know, how did it feel to to be relegated from the football league uh, into the conference?
3: Uh, me being the type of character that I am, I'm always honest. And if I remember back on that Torquay game, God, we shit ourselves we folded like a pack of cards. I think there'd been so much drama. You think of that season, I can't remember it, but I'm sure we had Tony Cotty, we had someone else, then he tried to come back, then there was this and that. It was just a shambolic year. Um, so half the team had moves somewhere else set up. And that whole day, that whole occasion, if I remember it right, we were useless. We were useless. Um, and if I, the, the, the reality of relegation never hit me until probably a week after. Because at the minute, there was so much adrenaline, so much stuff going on, and you was looking at it and you're thinking, I oh, played crap there. I brought nothing to the table. Um, and that was like, that was a time where we just dispersed. Everyone went their own ways and went, Home or whatever it was. And I think probably about a week later, I remember Greg Gild. This is the type of character that Groovy was. He put a picture of his son above his peg. So that's how he was wired up. And I was looking at him thinking, what is he doing? But a week later, I think the penny dropped and I got it. And he's basically like fighting for his family. Um, so it was really intense, and we just—I just don't think we had enough. I think by that point, too many people had had moves away, and it, that 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 sort of crazy gang, that do or die mentality, that 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 had folded. And I think all the different managers and all the scenarios had done that. There were still people like arguing with the chairman, like about money and stuff, like had been doing it all year people were out of contract, people were moving. That, that whole togetherness that we were built on had gone. It had been sort of broken up. And I don't even know if that yeah. was because Stilly went, I think it was just a culmination of things.
2: Well, because others, others have mentioned, yeah, the way the, the squad, I mean, you said earlier on that that first year you were there, there were no cliques. It was all very much, you know, one big group. And then from speaking to a couple of the other guys as well, and guys who are a similar age to yourself, like Ben Strebens was a young, young lad in that season, was saying that it was quite a split squad. And it, and especially that bit towards the end when it really, you know, when we were coming down to the crunch, the Blackpool game, the Torquay game at the end there, the, the division was even greater. I mean, I heard we heard something about there was the PFA awards in the week leading up to the Torquay game. And Mm. some members of the squad went to that and didn't turn up for training for a couple of days, allegedly. Um, I mean, was it like a completely different place to where you'd been probably not even a year, six months earlier?
3: So if you had the first group and there was the PFA Awards, everybody would have gone. So the whole team would have gone and then the whole team would have been in in the morning. And we would have been dog stinking drunk and we would have put bin bags on or whatever it was extra <laughs> top, and run and you would have all been in it together. By the time we got to that point um, some went some didn't uh, some boys missed training. The, the, the wheels had come off. I think still he coming back he come back too late to sort of galvanise it by then contracts were agreed elsewhere and it's, I'm looking back on it now it's all sort of it was a bad time. It was a bad time because we'd gone from such a group to like you had like like gamblers like that. That was one group. Then you had younguns. Then you had it was just like I said. We started there was no clicks, and then it all got very quickly. We didn't even have a Christmas party that year. I don't think. I mean, and that's like sacrilegious for Barnet. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think I think when you came in, Danny, it was reported that you coming on a on a long term deal. But at that point, especially being maybe one of the more gifted players and a bit more cultured, was there a was there an element of you that thought that for, even for you it was time to to move and see if you can find something back in the in the league, or were you always like stuck into
3: seeing if we could put this right the year after? Uh, no, I wanted off. I wanted off, um, and I had. This, this was a lot of the thing with Barnett as well and I, I don't want to go into everybody's personal thing but a lot of people had, had opportunities um, to do better for themselves, and a lot like things like didn't happen for them they weren't allowed to go or and you, you, by the time we got to that life it got very toxic so people would give their all for that and you've got to think I, I did mention we weren't getting good money We weren't getting what we were worth getting. We was playing against Peterborough. People got three grand a week. And like there's people in our team on like 250s. It was like ridiculous. But you had that togetherness. Well, by the time you'd got to like, I think that was my third year, that that had all sort of dismantled and broken up and people weren't getting new deals. That chairman would have been better off biting his lip and giving everyone new deals. It would have probably cost him a couple of hundred pounds, each player, and he would have had that group together. But they were fighting, everyone was fighting. And in the end, everybody wanted out. It wasn't the Barnet you come into. It wasn't the Underhill crazy gang. It was it was just everyone sort of chasing a move. It was like you went to Barnet to get a move. Where at the beginning, it was went to Barnet, you got beat up, um, and he like, oh, these lot are all right. It the whole dynamics of everything changed, but yeah, I, I, if I'm being honest, I wanted off. I had I had moves, and uh, they kept standing in the way of like good moves.
1: Yeah, I, I, you're not the first
3: person uh, that's talked about
1: similar situations, and uh, that wasn't the only period of time. I <laughs> think it's fair to say where that's how the, the club operated. I think that's um, that's been something that we've heard a few times over the over the years that followed as well. But, uh, yeah,
3: yeah. I bet, I bet. we we'll try not to exaggerate, I bet there's hundreds. I bet there's like people that had give their all for the club and then got good opportunities. I remember one was um, Ron Nodes has bought Brentford. Um, and he, he put something like a, a 600 grand bid in for me and Marlon. And the chairman went, no, nah, six and a half. And I was like, what? <laughs> you paid like... 40, 50 grand from me. Like, we've been in the playoffs, like, two years. Like, cut me some slack. But he just... He just want not have it. Does, and that's where all the ill feelings started to come.
1: does make you wonder how many players may have gone on to be, you know, to, to do something a lot higher that, that never did. Because I guess when you miss that move, it can all change. We, we, we spoke to Mike Taylor, the, the goalkeeper, who, uh, you know, play, played... I think he's the... the highest number of caps in Northern Ireland, something like that. He's, uh, yeah. he's two or three different Premier League clubs and and he did get the move to Southampton in the end, but I think two, two weeks before that, and, and the other chaps will remind me, I think it was Man City or somewhere like that, he was, that came in and uh, and that move was blocked. Now, it only takes an injury in between, doesn't it? Uh, uh, that
3: changes the whole fortune of a player's career. It's not even that, if I'll be honest, I look back and the way I am now, I was too mentally weak. And that's me accepting my flaws, especially as a, a young party-goer footballer. I sort of... You look at footballers now, I was the last of the drinking era. I was the last of the gambling sort of era. I know it still happens, but it's not like how it was there. Um, and... Like, when, when them things didn't work out for me, I've, I took it too personal. I took it too personal. And if I'm going to be honest, I probably threw my toys out of the pram and went on a sulk. And I think today, I think they're wired up a bit different. That They sort of grow stronger with adversity and situations. But back then, it was, it was yeah, I, I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle any of them sort of situations. There was a few, to be honest. There was quite a few. But I have to look at myself and say, at that time, I probably thought the answer was at the bottom of a pint and it wasn't. I did try hard looking though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, in the end, um, you did stay with the club uh, as we dropped into the conference. And actually, you know, we've spoken about it before. We did retain the nucleus of a decent squad. I think you, we, we spoke about John Steele and that core. You know, we kept Lee Harrison, we kept Greg Heald, Ben Strevens, yourself, Mark Gower, people like this. So... It felt like we were in a fairly decent position going into that. Um, but you know, we started that season fairly well, but yourself, you, you got injured um, and you made your full comeback in that that Farmer game, which, uh, if I remember, was played in front of about 750. Uh, we lost 3-0 um, and it felt like the wheels hadn't just come off. The wheels just didn't exist anymore. Um, what was that season like from your perspective, obviously being injured as well? Being in that season below and still struggling to get anywhere near uh, the level of form that you might expect when we had the squad that we did.
3: Uh, it was tough for me. By then, this is this is like I look back now as an old man and I look at it. Um, I was in a bad place. The club would have been better off letting me go. I was I was sulking to say the least, um, but I wouldn't have been alone with that. I wouldn't have been alone with that. That's the problem. What you do is you say them names and you think of them as players. But what you don't think of is their mental mind state, what they'd been through with the club. So the names that you say, not so much Lee Harrison because he'd die hard Um, and he was of an age where he was going nowhere, Barnett was his sort of his place. But you look at some of them other names and they had moves elsewhere. And weren't getting paid the money that they should be getting paid. And to top it all off, Martin Allen come in. So, Martin Allen done a lot of good. Uh, but it took me a while to get, get to grips with him. Me and him clashed. Um, and it, again, look, it's ironic as, I, as I'm older now, I look at him and I really respect what he was about. But I just didn't get it at the time. And I think I met him at the wrong time because I had moves and places to go, and they wouldn't let me go. So it was just it was just it was just a bad time. I remember the farmer game. I can't remember who it was. Someone got badly injured. Um, and I remember I'd been there before in like a pre-season game, and someone I said someone always gets injured at this ground. I think it was Fraser. Tom's broke his ankle. But Farnborough is like a boogie place, I never want yeah. to go there again. Um, but yeah, it was just it was it was a it was a squad of players that was good on paper, but weren't in a good mindset whatsoever.
2: I mean, and that you know, I think that was quite clear to see. Like James was saying there about the you know, the end of the John Steele era, that last bit was a tough watch from the terraces. Like you say, it sounds like a tough place to be on the pitch and on the training ground as well. But um, and you mentioned Martin Allen coming in. Obviously, Martin Allen initially obviously he's got a big history of Barnett now, but initially he came in as number two to Peter Shreves that followed John Steele's departure, or John Steele went upstairs again, I think briefly, um, mm. till the end of that season. Um, and despite what you're saying there about, about the, the players, and obviously you know much better than, than us, but when Shreves and Allen came in, uh, for that last two months of the season, we were like a completely different team. So the first game was... Um, played away at Hayes. I uh, remember that really clearly. You got a goal down our end in front of all the a decent away following that day. Um, and we went on an incredible run to finish the season. I think they came in and we were about 14th at the start of March and we finished fifth. And it was the year before the playoffs was brought into the conference. And I've no doubt if that had been a playoff year, the form we were in, we did a massive favourites, I think mm. to go and go straight back up, um, which is really interesting that that happened on the pitch of what you're saying was going on behind the scenes. But, um,
3: you know, no, Do but to counteract, yeah, yeah. So to counteract that, I clashed with Martin, but Shreezy was a legend. So it was the it was the best scenario of good cop, bad cop you've ever seen in your life. So sort of, Shreezy was this crazy old man who used to walk around doing all these like <laughs> old stretches and swinging his hips about, and <laughs> but he'd walk up to you as an individual and talk to you and make you feel like ten foot tall. And then you'd have Martin growling and you'd be like, I don't care what you said because he said that. They actually had a good mix. It was just, by the time we went on that run, I think that was everybody sort of getting used to it, if I'll be honest. Um, But yeah, there was two people, when you talk about your Tony Cotty's coming in, they would have been good to come in at that time. Because Martin seemed to understand the level and what it took and had that sort of warrior mentality, Shrevesy had the little touch of class and that sort of man management side. You probably wouldn't have gone down. And what Shrevesy also did as well, he was very happy for people to go and take their opportunities. He sort of believed that if your time was up at a football club, your time was up. If, if you didn't have the love for it or you felt you was better off elsewhere, it's a young man go and play go and do what you think's right <laughs> he was a legend so that that's that's why you had that uplift was because you had good cop bad cop
0: it just popped into my head actually i remember we played a game away at boston at the end of that season it was on sky and Boston, and I've been Boston, trying to
3: get that. It's not on YouTube. How about that scissors kick from the edge of the box?
0: Yeah, it was a ridiculous goal. I did. There's a video <laughs> of it. There's a video of it somewhere, I'm sure. But I've, I've got form for overpromising and underdelivering when it comes to video. But I've got it somewhere. I know I have. Um, but uh, yeah, that was. Well, Someone to see that. That was. Yeah, I remember that being ridiculous. So, so
3: just, right, James, so you
0: wanna, like,
1: just be clear, James. Talk, you've committed to it. Yeah, you've, you're definitely
0: going to get it from. If there's a VHS <laughs> somewhere, it will be at my mum's. So I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to try and remember to try and find that one.
3: You, uh, you talk about, like, Martin Allen and Peter shreves right? This is, gives you an insight. So we're warming up, and Martin is in my ear doing my head in that game, driving me nuts. And we're doing the warm-up, and Martin Allen pulls us all in and says, right, I want everybody to run into their half of the pitch, pick a player, and growl in his face. <laughs> this is live on Sky. This is me. This is now bearing in mind, this is a group of players that people have got moves on the table and they're on the sky and it's their time to shine. And he's made me run into their box and go up to Terry Angus and go and then, <laughs> and then run back into my own half. Um, but then you'd have Peter Shreves come up to you afterwards and say, Never mind, Martin, I want you to be my maverick today. I want you to show the world what you're made of. And then you'd feel all good again. And then I remember at the end of that game, Martin made us walk round the whole grand and clap all the supporters. Ours, theirs. They were throwing <laughs> toilet rolls at us, <laughs> coins. They are, oh, mate. What a day that was!
1: It, it's funny because we, I think that you know the Martin Allen madness is quite well reported, but the the Peter Shree stuff is is probably less known. We we we, you know, we spoke to again a few of your your teammates from the time. And there's stories about him stopping training midway through and just giving the right arse to Martin Allen when he's got to stop a training session. Or And, and I think Austin Barkley was given like a, a bit of a pep talk about his wizard wand left foot or something. I wondered if you'd had any of those kind of quiet but bizarre sort of uh, chats with, with Peter Shrevee. Loads,
3: loads. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he, he had this thing that you felt like you were having a private conversation, but he'd had the same conversation with all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what he, he'd come up to me, and he'd I, I, he'd always say, "I know you and Martin ain't friends, but me and you are friends." <laughs> he said, uh, "Go out there, produce the stuff, and do it for me, and I'll see you right." And so he, he always did it, and he, he used to. I thought he just called me he's "Maverick," but then I turned. I spoke to everyone else, and they were all getting called the Maverick. <laughs> so. He was just a good old-school man-manager. He used to defuse situations. Um, after that Boston game, uh, Martin's done a training session and Shreezy's just come on and said, right, I want to stop this. Um, he brought the goal out. He said, right, what you've got to do is, is your team chip it over and everyone's got to try and do that volley what Brownie did. <laughs> and we've done 20 minutes of everyone reconstructing the volley. And then I did one and he shanked it over the fence, and he went. I knew it was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a good man,
0: Shrewsley. Good man. Um, that season was another one where, again, on paper it all looked fine, but I think some of the things, things we spoke about there maybe uncover a little bit about why that squad didn't do so well. We were very much a inconsistent mid-table side in the in the 3 season. Um, but there was one game I remember that really stood out for me because um, it was a, a favourite early away day game, away day of mine. I think, uh, Ian, you would have been there as well. It was Halifax. And um, if I remember correctly, they were on pretty good form. We were pretty, we were just stuttering a little bit. They just won the Manager of the Month award and uh, we had no right to go up there and be 4-0 up after about an hour. You got a, you got yourself a goal that day, which turned out to be your last goal for the club. Um what was, what was that like for you? Because it had been an injury hit season. It, it, were you still a, in a place at that time where you know, you were just uh, looking for a move or w- were you just trying to get fit and try and concentrate on getting the best out of your time at Barnet? A bit of
3: everything, what you said there. It was, I had to get fit for a move um, and Trevesy just said, look, you know you're going to go. Just make the most of this time and enjoy it. Um, I remember that game because I don't think we quite believed what was going on. We just steamrolled them and it was grim and it's like all metal there and everything. He's like, oh, how are we here? And we just completely rolled them over. I remember that game. Um, but by then, I, was, I I can't dress it up or say anything nice. I was sulking. I was, I was sulking. It was, it was, that was a bad time really and if I look back, I look back on that a lot of regret because when, when you go into that uh, sort of mindset, you let people down and look, I'm sitting here talking to you now. I would have been letting you down um, and it's really childish to be honest. It's not, There's only one, the, the, the problem with it is there was, we all looked at it. Is there's only one person stopping people from getting on and it was the chairman. And that that rage would just boil up and boil up and it almost become like uh, where you were sharing towels. And the conference year, if I'll be honest, a lot of it is a blur because I was in such a bad place, like mentally acting like a baby. But I do remember that game at Halifax because we completely steamrolled them over. I think by then I'd think I'd even agreed uh, that I was going to Oxford at the end of the year.
2: Yeah, because that was um, that was sort of February sort of time, and then about three or four weeks later was when Shreve's resigned, um, which, uh, as I recall, despite the fact we weren't doing very well, there was there was a bit of a shock that you know, we we got what was quite a big name again at the club and and it hadn't worked out for whatever reason. And and he moved on. Um, And then obviously Martin Allen came in as the interim caretaker and then got the job on a permanent basis. And I remember, I remember vaguely, but I also looked it up beforehand that it's reported anyway, that he offered you a, a short term deal for the next season to prove your fitness. Um, which you know you, you, you say you, had, you you moved to Oxford, which is a higher level lined up. Um, I'm taking from from what you talked about though previously that staying and playing under Martin Allen uh, as the main man was never really an option for you.
3: Do um, you know what? Towards the end, it wasn't that bad. I sort of that's what I'm saying. It was the it was the initial income. Like when he when he first came in, I was like, oh, I'm not having this. Towards the end, I didn't mind him, and I remember I had like a one sort of last conversation with him. And he offered me a deal when it was a lot less money. Um, and he was explaining how the club was going to run. It was something about like, uh, you had to get your own kit. You had to take your kit home. You had to take a towel. Um, he was doing this thing where supporters could come on the coach so it would raise money. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, I've got like quadrupled out at Oxford United. It's like, and it wasn't even the money, the money. It was it was the league up, and and in the end, I just said, you know what? Mark, after everything, I was like, thanks, but sort of like, no thanks, because um, it just looked like it was going to be a car crash of a year. If I be honest, the things he was talking about doing, um, yeah, and then I, I'd already had a sort of move put in place. But he should never have gone. I think he just gone because. I don't know if Martin was in the background sort of trying to get the job. I don't know what the, what the situation was with that, but I never understood why he went. By then, I think the wheels had really come off behind the scenes.
1: And that was obviously the end of the time at Barnet. I wonder, as you reflect back on your career and where you are now, especially given that you're still doing coaching in football and stuff like that, where, where Barnett Football Club fits for you and your time there in, in your life, I guess, and whether whether and what stuff from that time you might you might still have
3: with you now in, in what you're doing with coaching. Um, I'd say that was my happiest time in football. Obviously, I earned a lot more money at other places, but the actual group of lads uh, was my happiest time. If I think about it, uh, I got to a couple of playoffs. Um. Yeah, I, I, I loved three years. I think a three-year deal would have been perfect for me. There was too much that went on towards the back end. But I, even now, I still speak to a lot of the boys. Um, even now, we can see each other and trade stories about Barnet. Um, even now, if I'll be honest, I look at the club now and it upsets me with the, with what's happened and everything. Even the move from Underhill when our sour that went and now I look at the facilities and everything that they've got but they're in the middle of nowhere and they've got this big shiny stadium with no one in it. I thought when Darren Curry become the manager I thought that would bring a bit of unity um, but then obviously that went south again. So uh, yeah, it's still a club that it's one of the first ones I look for and with my life going forward I take a lot of them crazy values with me um, I have to be very careful because I'm used to being in them surroundings that nowadays you could be very close to the mark on situations <laughs> um and even even in my coaching career, it's funny because I hated the man for a year um but even now I still speak to stilly um and there's elements of stilly that I take forward in my coaching and everyone that played for Stilly in that era does So Danny Chapman was manager of Harlow Town for 10 years at times I thought it was Stilly (laughs) his arms used to come out and wobble he used to say catchphrases like Stilly you do it without even realising I spoke to Darren the other week and he sort of said that it's in all of us like you when you become a coach if you're going to have any chance as a coach you dissect all the coaches that you've had and you take certain elements Um, and the big thing I took from Stilly is set pieces, organisation everybody understanding their role within the team, so there's no grey area so there's no excuses that was his biggest thing, no excuses you knew what you had to do you knew where you should have been, if you weren't there it's your fault and I, I use that a lot now I use that with 15 year old kids no excuses know your job, what are you here to do you take another coach, I'll take like Graham Ricks, and that might be the way I play expansive football. I might take uh, another coach like Kenny Jacket, who I had, and it might be high-tempo football. But you take elements of people that have seen you write sort of through, through the years. But yeah, still he lives in us all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what a thought that is. Um, I was going to sort of start to wrap up by saying, you know, if... if if there were any regrets you had, I mean, you've been really open and honest with us and I kind of, you've sort of acknowledged there are things you might have done differently. So I'm going to sort of change the question a bit. And do you think if you were coming through now, Danny Brown, the 20 year old or whatever, we signed for Barnet in 1999. Do you think if you were coming through now, your career might've gone differently, perhaps because of the culture at clubs now, perhaps because there's greater scrutiny, even at the lower levels because of social media and everything else. Um, You know, do you think it would have made things go differently, even if, you know, you might have not consciously making those decisions?
3: A hundred percent. But I don't like to say it because it's an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but a hundred percent. There's no room for error now. So half of the stuff that I did, it wouldn't have even been an option. Um, if you look at football now with sports science and you talk about injuries and you wouldn't look at the facilities for crying out loud. The, the the training pitch that we trained on was like, you know, like the hard Astro with sand. Yeah. Like I think one year, nine of us went and had the same groin injury. <laughs> like I had to have operations because of the training pitch. Um, so yeah, things would have definitely been different, but that wouldn't just be me. That would be a lot of people. That'd be a lot of people. And then on the flip side of that is, would would it have been the same? Would it have been as enjoyable? Maybe not. I wish I had found the balance younger. Um, I don't think I found the balance till I went to Cambridge and I would have been about 26. But then I understood a work ethic. I understood um, how to conduct myself on, off the pitch. I sort of become a leader become a captain I think there's a lot of kids now that are so ingrained in football that the other side of it about man like man- managing their self comes a lot easier you're taught it I had conjolery as a teacher for crying out loud <laughs> what chance brew. <laughs> you know what I mean six <laughs> cans of special brew every time you say ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, things could have easily been different, but uh, what I'm doing now, I wouldn't change it because I get to tell these stories to young men who are going into the game as well. Like do as I say, not as I did.
0: Well, there was another, I uh, just picked out another five-star review for the facilities of the First Field Centre in Potter's Bar there, but um, moving on from that, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up soon. I guess, you know, we've talked a little bit about your coaching and, and what you try and impart part upon people now. So, so what's what's the setup for you now? Where are you where are you coaching and uh, and and what's um, you know, how much are you getting out of it now as as someone that's able to pass on their knowledge to, to the younger generation?
3: I am currently now a full time employee at billericky Town.
0: Um,
3: I am head of coaching. Um, so I get a variation of jobs. Um, so I can do. Uh, I can coach coaches. I can coach sessions. Um, We're just in the process of setting up an academy scheme, um, which the club have put a lot of effort into, a lot of time. Um, And we've got a really good youth set up and pathway at Billerickley. Uh, I do the under-23s. And I just had a spell. I've done four games. For the first team is interim uh, to get the sort of playing squad ready for the new manager who's coming. So, yeah, a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot, but it varies, which keeps it fresh, um, which keeps it good, and keeps it different. Um, and I enjoy the fact that it varies. But it's with full that time. taste
2: of uh, sorry' with the taste of having the first team and in the conference South, you know it's a decent level of football is that something that's you know giving you maybe a bit of appetite to try and push on at senior level or are you quite happy coaching the youngsters
3: yeah um, um I enjoyed it I enjoyed my time doing it um but I'm, I enjoy what I do I enjoy what I do and I've got a lot of sort of unfinished stuff that I'm doing at the minute. So, with regards to setting up the academy, um, getting that all in place, and then getting some of what are the under-23 squad, getting them ready for first-team football. So, our under-23 squad is mainly made up of 17-year-olds, and they play, like, in men's football. So, sort of teaching them the game whilst getting roughed up. And that's where your bit of barnet comes into it. Um They've got a good squad of players that you're looking at in a year, two years' time, can start filtering into the first-team squad. So I've got a lot of stuff that I'm getting on with at the minute. Um, but I did, I did enjoy doing the first-team. The whole recruitment side of it is the bit that I'm not sure on.
2: Well, Danny, look, it's been fantastic chatting to you uh, this afternoon. Loved some of those stories, Um genuinely my sides are hurting for some of that so uh, I'm sure lots of others enjoy that too best of luck with everything uh, in the academy at Billericay um, and who knows we might be seeing you for a Barnet Billericay game next season in the league
3: oh don't say that <laughs>
2: uh,
1: I'll tell you what if we do look if you, if you, if we, if you can uh, spare five minutes we'd love to buy you a pint and say thank you as well so
0: uh, we'll see how we go mate N- not a special oh, that sounds
3: like a plan nah no, no brew <laughs> <laughs>
0: Robinson on. He's brilliant. And there's goal of the season. Frank
3: Lampard. Leonardo Bracciali. Oh, absolute
0: quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Brilliant. Second goal. Lovely start from Curry, not a bad try,
2: and
1: that's a terrific goal.